0: 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders, past and present, of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. I go
1: radio,
2: radio, go. This is 3CR Breakfast.
0: Oh,
3: yeah!
2: Alternative news, analysis, That's and current fan. affairs. Monday to Friday, seven oh, a.m. to late thirty a.m.
3: Early double.
4: Your hands. <laughs> <laughs> baby, baby. <laughs> Good morning and welcome to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. It is 7 a.m. on Tuesday, the 22nd of November, and you're joined in the studio today with me, Carnegie Ivka, and Jasmine. Morning. Hello. Morning. How is everyone?
0: Good, good. Although this this weather. We were just talking about how how many music festivals are coming up. I know. They're gonna be severely impacted by this wild weather. Yeah. Um I think you were saying is it first
4: which First and Forever on mm. Sunday. Um yeah, every every day we look at the forecast and it gets worse and worse like slightly worse every day and I
5: feel like rain is one thing but the wind that we've been having is
0: detrimental for a festival absolutely it makes me angry like I can't (laughs) feel happy walking in that wind (laughs) so aggressive you're so right like I just
4: get irrationally angry walking down the street (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. all right um Let's talk about what's coming up on the show this morning. So we're going to start off with our first interview a little bit early at the 7.10 this morning. Um, we're going to be talking to the um, someone from the NTEU at Victoria University about what's going on there. There's um, just It's just been reported that there's going to be another big restructure, which will likely result in a lot of job cuts. Um, so the union there is... You know, Rallying the troops, um, so we'll be speaking with Fleur Taylor, who's the vice president for professional staff um, Just after that we will be speaking with Verity Archer who is the vice president at the NTEU for academic staff at Federation University About the strikes that they're on um, what led to the strikes and further union action for working conditions there as well uh, We're then gonna get Fung- remotely on the line speaking with uh, Tig and Emma from uh, Incendium Radical Library and Collective about the zine fair that they're holding this weekend. And to end with, we're going to listen to a clip from COP27. Um, We played an excerpt uh, last week as well um, from the Indigenous Peoples Caucus at COP27. So we will be playing um, another clip from that to end the show today. All right, we'll be right back with the news headlines after this.
6: Tune in to Rest is Survival, 3CR's International Day of People with Disability Broadcast on 3rd of December, 7am to 7pm, we're talking about the role of rest in the anti-capitalist revolution. With programming by multiply marginalised disabled people and disabled broadcasters from the 3CR community. Visit 3cr.org.au forward slash disability day 2022. Wildlife
2: Victoria is a non-profit emergency response service committed to assisting wildlife in need across Victoria. Our trained and dedicated volunteers rescue and rehabilitate sick, injured and orphaned animals so they can be released back to their native habitat. If you see wildlife that may need our help, please contact us on 8400 7300. To donate or register to become a volunteer, hop onto our website at wildlifevictoria.org.au. A 3CR supporter.
7: Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent.
4: Welcome back to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. For our headlines this morning, um, we just wanted to talk about the horrific um, incident in Colorado Springs, Colorado. On Saturday night, a 22-year-old gunman entered an LGBTQI plus club in Colorado Springs and opened fire, killing at least five people and injuring 25 others. Um, patrons confronted and stopped him, stopping the tragedy from being even worse. The incident happened a day before Transgender Day of Remembrance, for which the club had planned to organize a drag show. This attack is reminiscent of the 2016 attack at an LGBTQI nightclub in Orlando, Florida, where a gunman killed 49 people and wounded at least 53. Um, According to the Gun Violence Archive, there have been more than 600 mass shootings in the US so far this year.
0: Uh, Yesterday, New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinta Ardern said the government would introduce a bill to lower the voting age to 16 after the Supreme Court ruled the voting age of 18 discriminated against younger voters and Parliament was breaching fundamental human rights. Um, And coming up on the 3rd of December, there is going to be a Survival Day fundraiser, um, which is a volunteered concert to raise funds for the January, January 26th, our Survival Day event. And that's actually going to coincide with the soundbar first birthday, which is based in Capel Sound on Point Nepean Road down the peninsula.
4: All right, we're keeping our news headlines short this morning because our first interview is coming up a little earlier than usual. So we will be right back after this with Fleur Taylor from the NTEU.
11: There's kind of a lot of, a lot of things that are coming up to the fore at the moment as well, particularly in terms of the way that we imagine, for example, essential work and also sort of essential community life or essential caregiving um, and how those, how those function. If we think about sort of the way that queer family often takes very, very sort of different forms and very, you know, important and meaningful forms that often don't match the picture
4: reported last week that Victoria University will be going through another major restructure with big changes to the university's colleges, strategic direction and more. This comes after 2020 saw university-wide staff redundancies, job cuts and changes to working conditions. Flair Taylor is the Vice President of Victoria University's National Tertiary Education Branch and is joining us on the show this morning to talk about what the latest changes mean for staff and working conditions at the university. Welcome to the show, Flair. Good
12: morning, Carnegie.
4: So, um, how long have you been at VU and what are some of the major changes you've seen in your time there?
12: I've been at VU nearly five years. and I think probably the major changes that um, stick out to me since I've been there um, is obviously the impact of the COVID lockdowns, which has, you know, hit higher education hard, but that's only been a crisis that's piled upon decades of neoliberal starvation of education funding, you know, for for, for the universities and, and TAFE sector. But two changes that have stuck out to me... Um, have been sort of witnessing firsthand the impact of more than 100 redundancies that the university carried out at the end of um, 2020. Um, And, you know, I I guess the impact of that has been to see the crippling workloads that have been piled on people, particularly professional staff, that's like non-teaching staff um, at the universities, where... Typically, the university will say, well, we don't need this function and that function um, and get rid of that person. Sometimes people have been personally targeted, you know, for a reason that's obviously nothing to do with the job role. Um, and then the remaining staff are left to sort of buckle under crippling workloads. Um, I think the other thing that I have witnessed during that time is the, is the impact of an enterprise agreement that we currently have that was negotiated in 2019 that severely penalises Um, teaching focused academics so it's created sort of two classes of um, academic teaching staff some who have an entitlement to do research and some who are um, you know nominally teaching only but of course the nature of academic work means that they do far more than that some of them are supervising PhDs chairing courses um, all the while being asked to teach you know a form of teaching that VU has has implemented called block mode, where students do um, one subject intensively for four weeks at a time, rather than doing four subjects concurrently during a semester, as is the case at most universities.
4: Yeah, so that, you know, that already sounds like staff's um, workloads are just being drastically increased with no kind of assistance from the university. Um, And then... Just last week, VUSVC has announced that the six colleges will actually be merged into two, um, while also saying that job cuts will be minimal. You know, how do you think this is actually going to impact staff and students?
12: Well, I mean, it's you know maybe it's just the sort of first tranche of like a wave of restructures and and, um, and reorganizations um, that the university is going to do. I mean, on the on paper, you know the 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 actual number of jobs that are supposedly going to be impacted or lost out of this might be small, um, but what in practice they're doing is, is um, abolishing a whole range of positions, moving functions around, and, and so forth. Um, and when you see the list laid out, you can see that there's a lot of, you know, middle management positions being abolished, and you know, more senior executive positions being created, and then a lot of, um, you know, m- mid-level professional positions being abolished and replaced with very, very junior um, professional positions. Um, and, you know, it, it, like like a cynical person might say, well, you know, here's another excuse of, of, of uni- you need to take out sort of years and years of experience and replace it with, you know, more junior, more easily... Um, pushed around, um, you know, lower-paid staff. Um, in terms of collapsing colleges into two or splitting them out again into 17 or something, it just feels like every university has done this and gone on this train, you know, at some point. Like, oh, let's make two giant kind of colleges and all faculties. Oh, let's split them all apart. Oh, let's put them all back together and stuff sometimes under the same management. Um, so I think, you know... One of the one of the worst parts of it is that as usual, um, there's a mechanism under the enterprise agreement that we have that, that requires the university to meaningfully consult with the union and with staff about these changes. But when you see the change management proposal and when you hear it laid out, it's clear that they've already made their decisions and, you know, any any attempt at sort of actually getting information from staff about what they do and where the pressure points are you know, it isn't. You know, isn't forming part of it. You know, it, it is. It is just a, a matter of them kind of, you know, drawing up a, drawing up a plan and and going ahead with it.
4: Yeah, that definitely sounds like you know staff are being sort of set up to feel disempowered from the start and almost be blindsided in a way. Um, and as you mentioned, you know this is the second big change um, after the first massive 2020 change and the impact of COVID. You know, how are staff feeling at the moment?
12: Well, um, I think I, I think I would preface that by kind of saying like. I haven't worked at universities for a really long time. It's not my lifelong sort of um, career industry. Like, I formerly worked in publishing, which, you know, in Australia and probably everywhere is a really kind of cutthroat industry. So, like, I'm used to management cuts and so forth. But I think what sticks in the throat of staff at universities is the kind of rhetoric that goes along with it. Like, in other industries, they'll just tell you, you know, profits are down, you're going, we're cutting this out, we're not doing this line and and stuff. But at, at... At universities, like we have a new management team at VU, and it's all progressive inclusivity, protecting country, making VU a thriving place to work and study, start well, finish brilliantly. And they kind of want to sell these changes as part of some grand strategic plan that, you know, cements VU as a kind of a cultural and moral leader in the west of Melbourne. Um, but, when it comes to industrial relations and university restructures it's it 's the same old it 's the same old crap as always um, and I think you know no one disagrees that you know workplaces change businesses change and that restructures of areas occur occur with that. I think what staff at VU are utterly sick of is university managements pretending that their cost cutting or their deck chair rearrangement is part of some great moral vision for higher education. Um, you know, from what I've seen, it's the same as any other business. It's about cutting costs, making workers do more for less and giving top jobs to your mates.
4: Yeah, I think that, you know, across the sector, we are seeing the corporatisation of universities. And this is a great example of exactly that. Um You know, we're seeing uh, the Melbourne Uni closing its animal hospital in Werribee and staff at FedUni are striking in response to proposed cuts. Um, How can university staff across the sector, you know, know their rights and fight back?
12: Yeah, I think that's such an important question, Carnegie, because, you know, there's no doubt that unionism in Australia you know, is it, a, is it a terrible state? You know, there's, there's low density, um, you know, we're faced by crippling industrial laws that are some of the most stringent in the world. Um, so, you know, the first and most basic obvious thing is to make sure that you are a current member of your union, like, join, actually join the union, no matter what you think of its, you know, leadership or its past decisions or something, like, you can only sort of change it if you're a part of it. Um, but... At the moment, it's particularly important because universities are negotiating um, enterprise agreements. There's a whole round of enterprise agreement negotiation. And what that means is that there will be a narrow window of opportunity for protected industrial action, strikes and tickets such as for the scene at the University of Sydney, Federation University, um, like just last week. Um, and we need to grasp that opportunity with both hands because our unions can't be rebuilt without struggle. Um, you know, and joining together to say to management, we are the university, we teach the students, we keep the place running and we deserve not to be made sick and stressed when we go when we go to work. We deserve a good wage. You know, we 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 deserve, you know, to to have the valuable functions that we do at the university properly resourced and, and properly and properly carried out. Um and and, and we deserve to have our tens of years, you know, hundreds of collective years of expertise feed into, you know, the the workplace and and that flows through to the experience of students. I think one of the most irritating and upsetting things about working at a university is constantly hearing about, oh, we're all about the student experience on the one hand while the other hand is like cutting and strangling and squeezing staff. Like, how can students have a good experience or get a good education when staff are, are, are cut to the bone? So, I think, you know, these experiences hopefully inspire people to join, you know, especially if you you get involved at a time when there can be a strike or a picket line or something like that, that inspires people to join, gives people the confidence to assert themselves collectively, you know, not just... In the grand scheme of like enterprise agreements, but in the day-to-day niggles of work life, you know, where you're not going to Fair Work Commission, you're not having an industrial officer next to you, but you and your workmates are able to push back enough, you know, with confidence and with organisation to make the day-to-day work life more bearable. And so, those are the two sides of unionism that I think are really important, and you know, the only way that we can effectively push back against union management.
4: Absolutely. And you know, here at 3CR, we are incredibly pro-union. So we encourage all our listeners to definitely join your union, especially if you're in the tertiary sector at the moment. Um, Solidarity across the sector is super important. Um, And you know, the union is one thing that you can build um, from the ground up. And so really um, want people to check it out, join the union. Um, have a say in what's going on. Flair. that's all we have time for this morning, but thank you so much for joining us and talking us to us about this me. very important yeah. issue.
12: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
4: So that was Flair Taylor, who's the Vice President for Professional Staff at Victoria University, talking to us about the working conditions there and changes to the tertiary sector across the board. We will be right back after this.
10: Bisexual Alliance Victoria is a not-for-profit organisation dedicated to equality and justice for multigender attracted people including bi, pan, regardless of label or no label at all, their partners and allies. Bisexual Alliance runs discussion groups in person and online. The group offers a safe and fun space to share your experiences, ask any questions regarding your sexual identity, and provide peer support. Bisexual Alliance is especially keen to hear from multi-gender attracted people in regional and rural Victoria. Donations of $2 or more to Bisexual Alliance are now tax deductible. For more information, visit our website at bi-alliance.org email info at buy or find us on Facebook or Twitter. A 3 supporter.
0: We're going to play you a track now by Bumpy um, called Leave It All Behind. So this is her latest 2022 release and you can catch Bumpy performing this weekend at the Hopkins Creek Mu- Music Festival.
1: Leave it all behind to. Not too certain of the time of day. I could easily get carried away, but here I stay and leave it all behind. I could
12: They locked
4: to 3CR. Uh, Welcome back to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. So we just heard from Fleur Taylor, who is the Vice President at um, the NTEU at Victoria University. Um, And we're now going to go into a conversation with Verity Archer, who is the Vice President of the NTEU at Federation University. So last week, staff at Federation University's four campuses went on strike to protest slow negotiations and working conditions at the regional Victorian University. Verity Archer is a humanities and social sciences lecturer at Feduni as well as vice president of academic staff. Uh, she's joining us on the show this morning to talk about the strike, working conditions, and the impact on staff and students. Welcome to the show, Verity. Good
7: morning, Kaniki. How are you?
4: Very well. How are you? Good, thank you. So, can you just start by telling us a bit about what led to staff striking?
7: Um, so we had actually two forms of protected industrial action last week that were ongoing at the same time. We had an indefinite strike um, in the business disciplines that was that began on Monday, and we also had an all-staff strike um, that occurred on Thursday. So um, the all-staff strike was around the um, same issues that the indefinite strike was addressing, and that was... Um, job insecurity and continual restructures that had led to just a general feeling of, um, oh, dissatisfaction among staff and um, anger and uh, low morale. Um, We're looking to address these things in our enterprise agreement. Um, And one of the big issues for us was that the university had been dragging its feet on the negotiations at the bargaining table um, and showing general disrespect for staff um, and their log of claims so we decided enough was enough and we needed to get them back to the bargaining table um in a respectful manner and um getting them to actually address our claims with um with good faith so so that was the reason for the strike
4: yeah um You know, and as I was just speaking with Fleur from um, the VU branch just before, these cuts, we're seeing them across the sector and we're seeing um, the lack of kind of respect as well to staff across the sector. Um, Mm. You mentioned an indefinite strike from the business school. How is that impacting both staff and students?
7: Well, the indefinite strike, we've advised the university that that has discontinued now as of yesterday. The um, business... Staff have pivoted to new actions. Um, So they informed the university yesterday that they're going to be uh, putting a ban on communicating results to the university. So results that have already been provided to students, so students um, aren't impacted, but the university is now not able to access those results in... um, in the way that they need to for ratification for those results at the end of the semester. So we're causing some um, disruption to the university, but not to students in general. So our focus is really on making sure that students have a good educational experience
4: as well. Absolutely. And I did see um, as well on the news that uh, students were getting involved in the strike last week. Um, yeah. You know, which does show that they, are, they do understand and they, they're on board um, yeah. and they can Absolutely. see that the actual staff have their interests at heart rather than the university management.
7: Absolutely. We actually had one speaker at our protest last week um, for the all-staff strike. She stood up and said that... Um, she'd actually had to leave the university because she'd found out that her course had been discontinued when she tried to email one of her lecturers and the lecturer said, I've actually been made redundant and the course is discontinued, so you'll have to go somewhere else. So this is the sort of um, snap decision-making that we're dealing with. There's a lack of consultation, so staff don't even know in advance when these sorts of things are happening. Um, And so... Students are really doing it tough. They're really bearing the brunt of poor decision-making at the upper levels and they're as dissatisfied as staff. So, yeah, definitely on board.
4: And what are your thoughts, um, you know, on universities across the board taking on a more corporate management style with sort of more overpaid people Mm. sitting at the top and, you know, staff cuts to academics and professional staff?
7: Absolutely. So um, we've seen this at our university, and I think this is not an isolated case. As you say, it's across the sector. Um, It's getting quite bad at Federation University. In fact, we saw one of the Vice-Chancellor's thought bubbles um, last year was to create a university that had not deans at the head of institutes, but CEO's. Um, and so this was something that we fought back against quite hard and um, that was um, abandoned in the end, but still the tenor of the uh, changes was, or does remain. Um, one of the things that our university is looking to do is engage more with business and that on the face of it is not a bad thing um, because it addresses some job um Uh, shortages in the industries that we're sending students into. But the university is looking to have business actually take the lead role in writing course um, material for lecturers. Now, they're not actually trained to do that. They're not experts in the fields that we teach other than being um, people who work in the field. They're not experts in pedagogy. Um, They don't have PhDs in the areas in which we teach and that's really concerning. It actually puts limits on academic freedom as well. Um, One of the other things we've seen is at the bargaining table a real uh, switch towards corporate language. So our director of HR actually referred to staff not as stuff, but as fixed costs
13: oh,
14: wow. um,
7: yeah, at the bargaining table last week. So that's definitely a mentality that they're taking into bargaining and it's really concerning, but we're pushing back against it hard. And um, certainly the actions that we've been taking, um, we're hoping that that will shift um, that mentality as well as um, shifting the behaviour at the bargaining table. So...
4: Yeah, that definitely does seem quite contradictory to the point of um, a higher education institution. Um, Mm, Absolutely. One of the other things that um, I should
7: mention also is that the university is using the language of um, sustainability and we all think sustainability is a great thing. In fact, the union's looking for a more sustainable university as well. But when they talk about sustainability, which is, um, you know... sort of um, corporate language as well, um, what they actually mean is job cuts. So, on the other hand, sustainability doesn't seem to apply when they're creating new positions at upper levels. We've had new positions advertised in HR for business um, managers who are... supposed to be raking in $170,000 a year in those roles and these are new positions. We've also had um, the universities spend $3.2 million on consultants last year. Now that's a huge increase on consultancies over the last couple of years. In fact, um, we were only in the mid hundreds of thousands about three years ago. Now we're looking at $3.2 million spent on consultants who don't seem to be giving bang for their buck. This is um, instead of consultation with staff, which is what should be informing uh, change papers. So, So not sustainable in other areas, I'd say
4: yeah that's it's really interesting you say that about the language uh you know we just spoke with the vice president from victoria university's n t e u branch who said the same thing and mm. um the pivot to sort of uh these corporate terms like uh at, but using using you know things like protecting country um right and then that's not in fact what's going on in any capacity <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, yeah so management at fairgen has denied. Uh, union claims that they're delaying negotiations. Um, What is their justification?
7: Um, We haven't seen a justification for that. Uh, We Instead we have seen, we've had a number of meetings and they're running to schedule so they're correct in saying that. Um, Unfortunately at those meetings we're seeing a lot of delaying tactics. In fact um, we knew this was coming because in our first meeting to discuss protocols at the bargaining table. We actually had um, the key member of the bargaining team turn up and sit there and say to us, I haven't actually read the protocols that the union has proposed, so let's just sit here and have a chat about university values. Um, And so straight off the bat, we knew that they were going to be using delaying tactics. We also come to uh, meetings without key personnel that they have agreed to provide being present at the bargaining table. And when we turn up, um, they tell us that that person's not available rather than telling us in advance so that we can change the date. Um, So that happened in relation to a full-day discussion we were supposed to be having about academic workloads. Um, And so we were prepared to discuss that issue, which was of key importance to academic members. Um, And we're told on the morning of the day, no, that can't go ahead. So these sorts of tactics are in place. And yes, they will say things like, oh, well, we've had a number of meetings and they're running to schedule, but that shouldn't be taken at face value.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, as we've deduced, this is happening across the um, university sector. How can, you know, different... Uh, universities and people across the sector support Federation Uni and support each other?
7: Yeah, I think there does need to be a great deal of support for each other. I think um, we need to support each other by supporting industrial action at different universities. Um, We had a number of members turn out to our protest on Thursday. A number of universities were offering um, some... um, support and assistance for their members who wanted to turn out at different um protests and community events that were being held at different universities so i think um yeah we need to turn out in numbers and show that this is an industry-wide problem and not just a localized problem
4: absolutely and if people wanted to keep up with what's going on at um, federation university where can they go
7: um, so we have the NCU website and Twitter account to um, to show what's happening across the sector which will also have information about Federation University we have our president Matt Abbott who runs um, his own Twitter feed about um, about Federation university union activities and information about bargaining so um, get on to Matt Abbott twitter account and have a look um and yeah just the NTU newsletters that are coming out um, regularly about bargaining across the industry will have information
4: about their journey, so amazing we will link to all of that in our show notes later today for any listeners who are interested in following um but that's all we have time for this morning verity thank you so much for joining us thanks Kanagi. So that was um, Verity Archer from Federation University talking to us about um, the strikes and the bargaining going on there. And we're gonna jump to a song now. Our New York singer and activist Danielle Ponda
5: pairs up with Melbourne cinematic soul outfit Karate Boogaloo to deliver Little Bit.
13: Wants to love her, but his love is no match for pride as he tries.
5: That was a Little Bit by Danielle Ponda and Karate Bukaloo.
2: Wildlife Victoria is a non-profit emergency response service committed to assisting wildlife in need across Victoria. Our trained and dedicated volunteers rescue and rehabilitate sick, injured and orphaned animals so they can be released back to their native habitat. If you see wildlife that may need our help, please contact us on 8400 7300. To donate or register to become a volunteer, hop onto our website at wildlifevictoria.org.au. A 3CR supporter.
15: Have you heard of long COVID? If you or someone you know have had COVID-19, you may still experience symptoms weeks or months later. There are many symptoms of long COVID, but the most frequent are extreme tiredness, shortness of breath and muscle aches and joint pains. Anyone can experience long COVID including children. You can find information in your language on the Health Translations website healthtranslations.vic.gov.au Just type "long COVID as a keyword.
13: A 3CR supporter.
0: On the 21st of October of this year, Homes Not Prisons held a rally in um, on the steps of Parliament House to bring people together and raise community awareness. Homes Not Prison is a campaign established was a campaign established in March 2020, 2021 to stop the expansion of maximum security women's prison in Melbourne's western suburbs, the Dame Phillips Frost Centre, and divert the funding into public housing and the Aboriginal community-controlled housing. We're actually going to play you some snippets of the rally now.
8: Um, two things, well, probably more, but um, it, this is my country and I've been asked to do the Welcome to Country, which is um, very important, when, especially when there's rallies because a lot of people don't ask for that. They don't sort of get permission to, to rally on country, which is not very good. Also, I support a lot of... Uh, people in prisons and I'm very angry with the way we have overrated particularly Aboriginal people in the prisons and you know a lot of, the, at the moment a lot of women are in prisons and they're just on fines you know or, or they're on remand same with the men, they're on remand and they shouldn't be there they shouldn't be there and there's, they're bringing trauma and um a lot of sadness to families and it's important that, you know, you look at this way because it's the same with the mental health issues when they had those horrible places they sent people to and my aunt was one of them, into the asylum. And it's not necessary. There are other ways to do things and a lot of um, countries don't do that. A lot of countries don't look at the health and well-being of our people and it's very that is the most prominent thing we need to do.
6: Just look at that so that's why I'm here. So I'm Georgina Gartland I'm with the group Concerned Australians and today I'm with the group Closed on Down Now and the Aranda Elders from Northern Territory and these groups are really really just so grateful for this rally organised I think it was by Home, um, Homes Not Prisons to for us to have a space during this national week and day of Action. So this is why we're here and uh, the Nannas have sent me a statement down to read. I've been with the Nannas now in Darwin for eight weeks and protesting outside Dondale Youth Detention Centre, which is absolutely horrendous. That centre should have closed years ago after the 2016-17 um, Royal Commission. Uh, it's still open. Uh, regressive and quite draconian laws were passed last year which may has made the situation so much worse and so like in June the Children's Commissioner in June this year said that there had been a 500% increase in self-harm at that Dondale Centre, it's absolutely horrendous with what's happening there uh, when we were protesting there um, on the Friday, we protest every Friday just a couple of weeks ago another ambulance came in and we cringe because we don't know how long it will be before a child actually passes. But that, 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 that the, the, the prison system, the, 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 the fact that nanas are completely ignored when they've got the wisdom, we heard only died, they've got the solutions, all across Australia. So we're really grateful to be here, To be, and I'm really grateful, well, I'm feeling very humbled to be reading this statement out on behalf of the nanas from Closed Onda Now Movement in Darwin and also the Aranda Elders Central Australia.
15: I'm Sarah, I'm from the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service and we are here because um, prisons are killing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in custody and we want to see um, an end to um, Aboriginal deaths in custody and a closing down of prisons in Victoria. Um, I'm here because
16: I think that putting money into prisons when we really need homes and social services is just ridiculous. Beyond words.
17: Yeah, and I think I've been so disturbed at how much money has been going into police and prisons recently. Like, it's always felt like that was a priority, but just seeing the figures of how much, um, you know, really important services have been defunded and how much money has been put aside specifically for the growth of the prison system.
11: I'm here as part of the Renters and Housing Union uh, contingent supporting the protest with Homes Not Prison. Uh, we're keen for the government to stop pouring money into prisons uh, and the criminal justice system as a punitive sort of structure and start pouring it into housing, which we know actually as, you know, if we go into purely cynical terms, as a return on investment socially and economically so much more effective than just putting people into prisons that ruins lives and sinks money down the drain.
18: Hi there, Uh, my name is Koka Crocker and I attended this rally because it is absolutely necessary to support the voices of those who experience structural violence, not just for moral reasons but also for reasons of logic, in that structural violence directly impacts individuals and it also impacts the health of our communities as a whole. So that's why I'm here. Um, My name's Nina. I am a steering group member of the Homes Not Prisons campaign and I was thrown into emceeing today, last minute, which was nerve-wracking but really, really good. It was such a great vibe and um, really had to emotionally pull myself together after Vicky Roach's speech, even though she wasn't here, like just the words that she said and really diving into her personal story made me really reflect on my own and just brought back some really horrific memories um, and, you know, and just highlighted that that's the experience of criminalised women. Um, but it was a really, really great time.
8: What did you want to achieve today?
18: Um, I guess just a little bit more of community awareness and, like I said in the speech that I did, just to stand strong and stand together, rebuilding relationships and connecting with others that are doing um, similar work. And I've actually just connected with two um, criminalised women that have, were... Here for the same, exactly the same reason. Had exactly the same slogan written on their banner, but had no idea that we were going to be here. And I just thought, you know, that's just that was just meant to be. <laughs> <That's
19: amazing. laughs> My name is Chantel. I'm, I'm here because I'm homeless, and I've been homeless for quite a few years due to being being bullied back in South Australia from the cops and. Yes, and I'm here to protest for the homeless because I think it's ridiculous. Um, there's that many vacant homes out there that are just sitting there and this many homeless people with no homes. It's like, what's going on? Come on. We can all have a home and, you know, all live. <laughs> you know, yeah, so I'm here to hopefully... Turn that around and get people under roots, <laughs> yeah, that's it. And I'm all the way from South Australia.
6: <laughs> Hi, my name's Latoya. They call me Skits on the Streets, and um, I plan on helping the young ones off the street. Um, it's just ridiculous. All the older ones are setting a bad example for them, and they need someone to set the right way. I've been into prison before for something I didn't do, and it's, it's not fun. You know, they, it, it, they think it's fun being gangster on the street. It's not. You know, so I plan on getting all the criminals that, are, that don't want to live that life anymore and get them all together and take the young ones off the street, give them something to look up to. You're going you know, to listen to a criminal before you can listen to anyone else, you know what I mean? So that's what I plan on doing. Awesome. Is that, is that how you ended up here today? Yeah. It just happens that these guys were here at the same time, so... We're going to stay up here tonight and kind of do a little sleepover like as if we're kids, get our blankets and... Just stay here tonight so
15: sit here and listen to music and talk like we teenagers again you know. awesome So, so organizing the rally has been a really inspiring exercise despite the weather obstacles that we faced um last week uh, it's been really amazing just to see how many people have come out and wanted to be a part of um, building you know community with homes not prisons and creating, you know, being part of creating the kind of state that actually treats everyone fairly and supports people who might be experiencing poverty and homelessness and criminalisation. I think as prison abolitionists we are very frustrated a lot of the time. It often feels like we are shouting into the void or running up against a brick wall but being part of homes not prisons has really flipped that for me because it's just really beautiful to see so many people and to have the great privilege of working with so many people who see abolition as a building project um, and that for us it's about yeah building the kind of Victoria that we all want to be part of that supports our fellow community members
20: so I have been buried. Deep down the abolitionist rabbit hole for some years now. Um, I used to live in the States and I moved to Melbourne um, at the beginning of 2021. The United States was an amazing hotbed of um, abolitionist activism, and you have amazing people like Marion Carver, um, Interrupt Criminalization, you know, just like full of, like Ruth Wilson Gilmore, like full of these wonderful people. And um, when I moved here, I knew that I wanted to get involved in. Um, abolitionist activism that was as grassroots as possible and I heard about um, Homes Not Prisons through a random connection and connection and connection and I just started sort of going along to the meetings and I loved that it was run and organised and led by the steering group that's all full of people who have lived experience of incarceration um, and First Nations people and I felt like that is the most important thing, to show up and be there for the people that are at the front line of experiencing the effects of the prison-industrial complex, and to be led by them, and to just do what I can to support, uh, and I sort of see that as part of my consciousness as a as a settler, as a colonial settler in this colonized land. It's the way that I can see helping and making a contribution. I I, I guess I could go on and say that I'm for like harm minimization and sort of really see abolition in, um, prison abolition as a really important part of how you make communities safer, because we know evidence showed us uh, lived experience, uh, voices have shown us that like, prisons do not heal, they don't make it safer for anyone. They uh, only traumatize more. And um, for myself as a as a social work student, I think, right actually getting to the root of uh, problems in society and like targeting healing and um, safety in a proper sort of from the ground up way is the only way that we're going to get anywhere in society. My name is Karen Fletcher and I'm
10: the executive officer at Flat Out which is a support and advocacy service for women, trans and gender diverse people coming out of prison and I'm also an activist in the Homes Not Prisons campaign. And I'm here because I'm supporting the Homeslot Prisons campaign. How was the rally today? I was really thrilled. I mean, the quality of the speakers was really extraordinary, I think, and unusual. And these are voices that haven't been heard that much. they have got so much to say and it's so rich and valuable and it points in such a wonderful direction in terms of stopping the kind of misery that's created within prisons Uh, yeah, I feel like it's, this is just the beginning. I think that this campaign has got a lot of potential to get support. What's the next challenge, do you think, for the campaign? I think the key challenge is probably drawing in other organisations in collaboration across the city and across the state and then hopefully across the country. I mean, we've already had a couple of queries to the campaign about whether the Homes Not Prisons slogan and um, ideas could be used in other states, uh, so it would be great to start those conversations. It's important to the Homes Not Prisons group that, that goes, what goes with that is the values of the group, which is leadership by people with lived experience um, and nothing that supports prison expansion or police expansion, um, everything for decarceration and, and for community building. Um, so, yeah, having a sort of a positive uh, campaigning attitude to creating the kind of safety and peace that people really deserve.
0: You just heard from speakers from the Homes Not Prisons rally held in Naam on the 21st of October of this year. You can listen to the 3CR Homes Not Prison radio series via the 3CR website on 3cr.org.au. Next up, we're going to play you a track by Super Tart. Uh, so, Super Tart are a punk band from Nam and they'll be performing at the fundraising gig for Needle and Bitch Collective this Saturday at Catalyst Social Centre. This is their song, Maxine's Garden. <laughs>
14: the band super tart with their song Maxine's Garden. So this Saturday, the 26th of November, the Incendium Radical Library and Collective will hold a zine fair at the Catalyst Social Centre in Coburg. Following the event, there will be a gig put on to raise funds for Needle and Bitch, an anarcho-feminist collective in Indonesia. Joining us today to speak about these events are Emma from Incendium Radical Library and Collective, and Tig, who is an Armenian diasporan uh, anarchist and musician who makes Armenian folk industrial noise music under the name Blood of a Pomegranate. Welcome to 3CR Breakfast, Emma and Tig.
9: Hi, thank you so much.
14: Emma, I'll start with you. Um, We've interviewed um, people from IRL before, but For listeners who are new, can you please remind them about the work you do at Incendium Radical Library and Collective? Yeah, thanks, Tom. I I hope I can uh, do do IRL justice.
16: Um, So we do lots of different things. Um, So one exciting project that's happening at the moment is our library is reopening as part of Catalyst Social Centre. Um, so the library is a space that has lots and lots of amazing resources. There are zines, books, um, all with sort of a focus, um, yeah, and other other parts of the collection too. I think we have a seed library um, and uh, all with a focus on radical ideas, so imagining different worlds and trying to make them possible. Um, and not, not just books, though, um, <laughs> or not just the library as well. We also have um, a mutual aid project uh, we did. Um, for mutual aid throughout the pandemic, and that's going in a different direction now, around um, supporting people who are leaving prisons, um, and there's also um, events like the Zine Fair that is coming up too. So, uh,
14: yeah, lots of different things happening at IRL. Yeah, I've been following IRL for a while, and it's and um, it's amazing how big the um, the library and the collective are growing, and. all the different ways in which you're reaching out to the community. Um, Emma, you mentioned that this Saturday there's a zine fair and it's taking place at the Catalyst Social Centre. Can you tell us a bit about the purpose of this gathering?
16: Yes. So we really want to make a space for people to to meet and share stories and ideas, and, yeah, especially radical stories and ideas. So um, trying to create networks of solidarity and collective struggle um, and also uh, enjoying ourselves, hopefully. <laughs> so, um, you know, being together, um, focusing on joy and celebration, but also trying to have the kind of conversations which are maybe harder to have um, in sort of um, some ways of speaking publicly that are common, you know, trying to make a space for different kinds of discussion and opening, yeah, new possibilities. Um
14: Yeah, that sounds really important. Um, Can you tell us what kind of publications will be on offer for people to peruse and purchase?
16: Yes, I can highlight a few. There are so many. Um, We also had a for earlier in the year, so this is our second second one in sort of this iteration of the collective. Um, Yeah, and so I really... I'll highlight a few, but I really encourage everyone to go and look at the um, Incendium Radical Library and InfoShop Zine Fair page on Facebook. We've also got Instagram at IRL InfoShop. They're all there. But um, uh, just to go through a couple, there's um, Wern of Canuck. So they're a First Nations land back initiative um, and uh, an exercise of sovereign strength and self-determination to regenerate land and waters through native plants and bush medicine gardens create a seed library um, and nurture and protect the existing ancestor trees and cultural landscapes surrounding. Um, There's also Sick Slash Sovereign, which is a publication reimagining COVID-19 through disabled First Nations storytelling, um, a powerful collection of visual and written artwork exploring some of the limitless possibilities of what it means to be young, black and disabled amidst a global pandemic. Um, There's also Yo Soy Collective, Um, So they provide a platform for creators from Latin America to break creative boundaries, Um, and they've been around since 2018. Um, And they create a space where ancestral magic intersects with contemporary cultural practice, and their table will include artists connected to the collective and will be selling zines, artist books and artworks. There's no comfort zines, so a zine distro with writings on race, anarchism and nihilism, um, seeking out uncomfortable ideas in the face of sort of a safe, uh, overwhelmingly safe leftist discourse. Um, there's also Awkwadi Deer Collective. Um, so they're made up of West Papuan diaspora and friends, creating art reflective of culture and resistance. And one more, um, the Sunday paper. Um, so they're an independent publication that centres Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander and Palestinian people and their allies working to resist settler colonial occupation. Um so they really work to display the rich tradition of black Palestinian solidarity on this continent. Um and the publications say they're uncompromising in yeah, you know, in their love. Um so they will be there as well. So there was also heaps heaps more. <laughs> um, that's just a few. Um and one thing I'm really looking forward to on the day is um at uh, so the Zine fest from two PM to five PM. Um, but on the day at 3, three o'clock, um, we're having this thing called Two Minutes of Infamy. Um, so that will be um, a time where the stallholders um, all have a couple of minutes to speak about their distros and sort of introduce themselves and talk about their work um, and what's exciting about it. Um, and, yeah, I think that will be really really, um, really good moment in the day. Um, so that would be a great
14: time to be there if you're thinking about coming. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And and like you said, hopefully that sparks a lot of really interesting um, conversations as well. Um, so after the zine fair, there's a gig that's going to be put on um, to raise money for the Needle and Bitch Collective, and uh, the artists that will be performing are Blood of a Pomegranate, Tart and Spores, which you're a member of. Um, can you tell us more about this? Um, Anarcho Feminist Collective that you're raising money for? Yes, yep. Truth
16: is out, I'm also in sports, so a couple <laughs> of times there. Um, but yeah, so Needle and Bitch are a really amazing anarcho-feminist collective um, based in Indonesia. They do work around um, sexual health and also, I guess, gender more broadly. So they work autonomously without funding from NGOs or other funding, so... Um, part of what they do is they have a, um, I guess, like a DIY recycled handmade crafts line um, with a focus on women, sexuality, bodily autonomy, um, DIY culture and political issues. They also have like a physical space, which is um, a safe space for um, women, men and gender diverse people. Lots of different genders and sexuality are welcome. They're really open. Um, And they also do lots of activities. So... um, yeah, workshops, Skill Shares. They make zines and flyers. They do street events and campaigns like film screenings, um, workshops around sexuality issues, Skill Shares discussions, exhibitions, and hosting self-defense classes, um, crafty queer uh, workshops, and they also do a gender-based
14: violence and unplanned pregnancy helpline. So super rad. Yeah, yeah that sounds like such an incredible, um, incredibly important um, space for for so many people. Um, Tig, I'll I'll throw to you now. your um blood of a pomegranate and you'll be performing at this Saturday's gig. Uh can you tell us more about the music you make um and and why you create music?
9: Uh yeah, sure. Um so yeah, uh I'm a I'm Armenian diaspora and and um yeah, I suppose uh there's a lot of uh trauma that comes with being an Armenian. <laughs> um the yeah, the most recent um, troubles Armenians went through was the war in 2020 that was over a disputed region that is in internationally recognised Azerbaijani territory, um, but is actually an autonomous enclave of um, Armenians who have been there for a very long time. Um, and yeah, there there is a imperialist war that's currently ongoing. Um, it's also a proxy war uh, that is basically advancing the interests of Russia and Turkey and the region. And America and Iran have now started to also try to um, maneuver themselves into the equation. Um, and yeah, I, I suppose I make music uh, to basically express the, the darkness of these kinds of situations and to kind of um, humanize the situation a little bit because I think it's very easy for people in the West to dehumanize Armenians and Azeris um, because they see it as a conflict that's external to them that is happening in some kind of a barbarous orient. Um, but in reality, it's just it's just what humans do to each other under, um, under these sorts of circumstances. There's nothing fundamentally different uh, between Armenians and Azeris and you know white people in the West and so I make a pretty uh, violent and aggressive kind of music um, that attempts to uh, bring out that kind of monstrosity in people so that they can see it in front of themselves and they can recognize that this is something that is you know, laying dormant within themselves and it's not something that they can externalize and dehumanize just because it exists within their own shadow.
14: Yeah, that's such an important point to make, Tegan. And I think especially um, when it comes to um, c- countries in the West, states of the West, like Australia and the US, a lot of the time people think that it's irrelevant um, to, to us, but we don't know about all the, you know, in some cases, the military aid and financial aid that these countries are um, giving in order to fuel those wars. So there's, there's a lot happening there as well. Yeah. Um, more broadly, as an anarchist and, and musician, what role do you think does, does music play in resistance or struggle against um, systems of power?
9: Um, well, I suppose um, music can either reinforce the status quo or it can do its part to subvert it. Um, music alone is... You know, it only affects the mind, I think, and it can affect people's behaviours if their minds have been affected enough to encourage them to take on a certain attitude. But um, And there have been cases that, you know, music has inspired people to do very radical acts, and that's fantastic, but it's very rare for something like that to happen, so I do try to uh, do my part to actually support um, causes such as this. You know, um the uh, fundraising for Needle & Bitch. Um, I've done the same in the Netherlands. I uh, performed at the No Borders Camp, which is an international camp. Um, that was uh, on occupied private land, um, where uh, yeah, people camped there for a week, for I think a week and a half. And we're doing daily actions and solidarity events. Um, And, yeah, performing in squats and these kinds of environments where, you know, there are people who are trying to subvert the status quo and trying to undermine the power structure and create a new society within the shell of the old. And, yeah, I I try to support that in what what way I can by providing them something that is encouraging for them. Um, Yeah. Performing with them or whatever.
14: Yeah, amazing, and um, I feel like there's a lot of similarities between what you were saying about music and what Emma you were saying earlier about um, uh, about cr- creating zines and um, having discussions to to try and imagine radical futures that are so different from you know the capitalist structures that we live in at the moment. So um, yeah, it's it's really exciting to see that there are these two events that are happening in tandem this Saturday. Um, unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. So I do want to thank you both for for joining us on 3CR. But before we go, Tig, uh, we're going to play one of your songs. Um, can you tell us what song we'll be hearing and um, just a bit of background about it?
9: Yeah, sure. Um, so we're going to be hearing a song called Ures Madim, which means Where Are You, My Mother. Um, it is a traditional Armenian uh, gospel song, but um, I have uh, kind of reimagined it for this album. It's the last song on the album that I released earlier this year called 7,000, 7,000 Haunting Arsah, which is the region that the war happened in. Um, and that album is entirely about the war, and the last song is specifically sung from the perspective of an Armenian soldier that I saw a video of who had been bombed and he was stuck in the ground screaming for his mother. And um, instead of you know being sung from the perspective of Jesus Christ, Um, lamenting his sorrows to his mother. It's about this soldier, you know, um, who has been betrayed by his own nation and enemy nations and, you know, um, the imperial powers that have been trying to stick their noses into business that's not theirs.
14: Thank you so much for that, Tig. And again, just want to thank you both for joining us this morning. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Here is Blood of a Pomegranate.
1: and mm-hmm.
5: That was Blood of a Pomegranate with Iris Marim. And before that, we heard from Emma and Tig speaking about the IRL Zine Fair and fundraiser gig this Saturday, 26th of November at Catalyst Social Re- uh, Centre, 144 Sydney Road, Coburg. To find out more about the event, please go to www.irlinfoshop.org events and refer to our show notes after today's episode. Last week on the show, we played excerpts of interviews from the Indigenous Peoples Caucus at COP27. As the conference wrapped up last week, we want to share a couple more excerpts recorded by Indigenous Rights Radio to share perspectives of Indigenous women on the impact of climate change
17: no Te Waipounamu no Te Kaitahu. So, kia ora, uh, I'm Keta Sheward regan I'm Kaitahu, Indigenous from Te Waipounamu, the South Island of so-called New Zealand. Um, I've been here at the COP the last several weeks, really uh, doing a lot of work with Indigenous Peoples Caucus and the Indigenous Peoples Pavilion uh, around communications. And we have found that this COP it has been logistically challenging, to say the least. But our teams have been working very, very hard around the clock. To ensure that Indigenous rights, the inclusion and participation of our communities are really centred in these negotiations. I think we've seen a, a lot of positive. You know a lot of positive outcomes on the sidelines of the negotiations, in the sense that we have had more Indigenous peoples here showing up at this COP than ever before, and it has been just wonderful to see the relationships that have emerged from that space, wonderful to see so many events, more than 70 events at the Indigenous Peoples Pavilion where people have the opportunity to really share their own stories, share the experiences from their communities and share their solutions to this climate crisis that we find ourselves in now. And so I think that that has been really powerful, we've also seen uh, some states and also allied constituencies work really hard to ensure that whenever we're talking about human rights, we're also talking about the rights of Indigenous peoples, so I think that that has been promising. However, when it does come to the negotiations, as I say, we have had our Indigenous people's caucus working group teams really working around the clock they're working with uh, state parties trying to find negotiators uh, who we can um, you know who we can support to put good indigenous rights language forward I think earlier in the cop that was looking promising and we were starting to see indigenous rights in a couple of different spaces but now as we get to this critical point um, as cop 27 is coming to a close we're seeing the hard deals being made and there is a really big push uh, for parties to conclude the negotiations quickly and what that means is that unfortunately we are seeing uh, the rights of indigenous peoples in human rights language uh, start to come out of those draft texts and so for us it's really essential that these last couple of days with the few people that we have remaining on the ground here that we continue to push to ensure that the rights of indigenous peoples are upheld um, and mainstreamed across the negotiations. Of course some big focuses for this year are ensuring that, the, uh, that, that indigenous peoples' rights uh, language remains in all of the negotiations around article 6 of course loss and damage as well and taking into consideration the non-economic losses that our communities face is hugely important and of course we also have you know a major priority with adaptation and so some of this is also content that we're trying to get through in the cover text the cover decision but again it remains to be seen over the last you know final day or so uh you know at the end of this cop how many how many negotiations we're going to see coming out with strong uh indigenous rights language i think what we've seen here at this cop is really just how powerful indigenous peoples can be when we come together in a really coordinated manner and despite the fact that we have had so many logistical challenges here that it has been quite difficult on the ground we have seen uh, indigenous peoples ensure that our voices are heard across the COP you know, you can just about you can hardly look anywhere without seeing indigenous peoples showing up um, without seeing indigenous peoples advocating and as I say, you know we we have seen at least at the beginning uh, I think, you know, a willingness from some parties Uh, to be advancing the rights of Indigenous peoples in the negotiations. I think the lesson, uh, at least for me, coming from the perspective of, you know, coordinating across uh, communications, is really that we need to ensure that we have people on the ground, especially in these critical days. I think sometimes, you know, as Indigenous peoples, we're coming, we're travelling from really far away, people have other commitments and we have responsibilities within our own communities. And so it's hard for people to take this much time out to participate in a conference that is often so inaccessible and so exclusive and so I think that means that we often see these final days as indigenous peoples are starting to leave this is when these final decisions are kind of going through and so I think for next year uh, it would be wonderful to see if we can prioritize having people on the ground for these final days so that we can sustain that pressure on the parties and ensure that uh, you know that those compromises aren't being made on our rights as at the end of the negotiations. The other thing I would say is you know within our communities we have so many diverse needs and of course within a caucus that represents so many different communities around the world with different cultures different languages that coordination is really important and so I think, you know, over the, coming, over the coming months, the IIPFCC, the International Indigenous Peoples Forum on Climate Change, which, you know, facilitates the Indigenous Peoples Caucus, are doing a lot of work to ensure that we can be even more coordinated and be able to show up on the ground, um, you know, at the intersessionals and then at COP28, really coming in strongly uh, with strong, coordinated and unified messages that we can really uh, push out uh, and ensure that the parties are doing their job uh, to uphold our rights and uh, uphold the
5: needs uh, and experiences of our communities. We just heard from Kira Sherwood O'Regan, uh, who was speaking to Indigenous Rights Radio at COP27, talking about the need for rights of Indigenous peoples to be upheld and mainstreamed, including the non-economic losses that
4: communities face. Amazing! So that brings us to the end of our show. Just a quick rundown of what we had on the show today. We started off with an interview with um, Vice President of the NTEU at Victoria University, Flair Taylor, who talked to us about what's going on there um, in terms of the EBA, workers' rights and job cuts. We then spoke with Verity Archer, who's the Vice President of the NTEU at Federation Uni about the strikes that Fair Genie has have been having and working conditions that they're demanding in their EBA negotiations. We then heard
0: from speakers from the October 21st rally for Homes Not Prisons.
4: Um, we then uh, had an interview with Fung over the phone remotely um, and Fung spoke with Tig and Emma from the Incendium Radical Library. And collective who are holding a zine fair this weekend and thanks to cultural survival
5: we finished off with an excerpt of an interview with kira sherwood o'reagan
4: at cop 27 so as always we will have a podcast of the show up later today with links to all of the events and all of the exciting things we talked about on the show today um, and we will see you again next week, so keep it locked to 3CR.
1: Tuesday
13: Breakfast would like to thank our friends at Living Coco for their support of the program. Living Coco puts community first by respecting food sovereignty. Based in Braybrook, they create bean to bar chocolates, cacao tea, intentional drinking cacao, and cacao mass in bulk. A zero waste manufacturing space, Living Coco ethically sourced cacao from over 130 domestic village farms in Samoa. They are at livingcoco.com or on Facebook and Instagram.
8: 3CR
16: would like to thank our sponsors, Earth Greetings. Cards that connect, care and celebrate. Support wildlife and habitat with every purchase. Inspired by
6: nature, giving back to the planet. Learn more at earthgreetings.com.au 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au.